to invite you to join me to John chapter 11, the gospel of John chapter 11. And uh, we're going to walk through uh, the first 16 verses or so of this passage and uh, believe God will use this passage to strengthen our faith, uh, to strengthen our faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Um, I don't know what, what comes to mind when you think about the disciples. Um, maybe it's a story or maybe it's one of them kind of acting up a little bit or just even like thinking that like these disciples must have had it all together, uh, must have been just these like spiritual superstars. Uh, but what we find is that uh, they were just like you and just like me. <laughs> That, uh, that their journey of faith at times looked like a roller coaster. Uh, it was just kind of up and down and, and, uh, and they're just, they're, they're just real people, uh, looking to follow and love Jesus. And with these disciples, there were many times where they failed often. Uh, and, and, and what I love about Jesus and his disciples is that he was always, I mean, Jesus is God. He's the son of God. So he knows intimately every in and out of their heart and their mind. But I love the, I love the intentional care that Jesus gives to his disciples. It's like, he always knows where they are. He knows what they're struggling with. He knows, uh, what their, uh, where their victories are. He knows kind of what they're working through. Like he knows everything about them. And he always was looking for ways to, to, to embolden their faith and to encourage them in their devotion to him. And, and, and what I'm encouraged about this morning is that here's what we know. Like God sees your heart. He sees my heart. He sees your every thought. He knows your every worry. He knows your every anxiety. He knows even as we've walked through this week, he knows the, maybe the, the heart roller coaster that you've been on just perhaps just even just in your own world, what you're working through and, and walking through and he sees and he knows, and I love his, his care for his disciples. And so in John chapter 11, uh, we're going to just get started in what is a broader story that perhaps many of you know of or might be familiar with, and that is uh, the rising, the resurrection of Lazarus, uh, his good friend. But as we, as we kind of uh, look at this passage, what we're going to do, and God's going to help us, that is, is to zoom out of, of, of a very intense, sad, difficult time in the lives of the disciples and even their friendships and their relationships and and Christ is going to help them zoom out and is going to help them see a bigger picture because there's always a bigger picture. Many of you in your phone or in your purse or on your hip or somewhere, you have a, you have a high tech, high powered camera. And not only is it a super high tech, high powered camera, you also have a high powered computer and not only is it an amazing high-powered, super high-tech camera and a high-powered computer, you also use it to, like, make a phone call every once in a while. Like, it's a phone. Like, it's there. And, 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 and often we use our phones to take pictures. And we take pictures what? We take pictures of things we do not want to forget. And so it may be a to-do list that you just want to, you don't want to carry the paper around. So you take a quick picture of it. They're like, oh, I don't need to forget. Uh, I know when we were moving all the chairs around in here, uh, by the way, 
Uh, you're the first other than a bunch of kids yesterday to break these chairs in. Uh, and, uh, and I got to share this, a, a quick Brother Bill story. Brother Bill told me, he's like, he's like, Jared, these chairs are probably going to come at like the most inconvenient, inconvenient time. <laughs> And they came Friday at four o'clock. And so uh, thank you to all who helped open these up and get them ready. But, but the thing is this, is as we look at the text, he, he, he's going to help us zoom out. Because we take these pictures and we, we take the picture and with a smartphone, what you can do with your fingers is you can kind of like zoom in. And you can go into the, into the most specific detail of the picture. But the thing is this, is you see the detail but, but, but you don't really understand the detail until you zoom out. Like, like what you see when you zoom in does not make sense unless you zoom out and you see the bigger picture around it. It helps the, 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 the more specific zoomed in picture make more sense in light of what's going on. And, and, and this is what Jesus is going to help his disciples with and I think help us with. And that is to zoom out. To zoom out of what in this moment is a very tragic thing, be yet to zoom out and see the bigger picture that what God is doing is he is preparing the way for his greatest miracle yet. That he is laying the groundwork for an incredible work in which he will receive much glory and in the process he's going to strengthen the hearts and the faith of his disciples. And so our story takes place uh, somewhere between December and April. And we know that because in John chapter 10, where we left off, in John chapter 10, it was the Feast of Dedication, also known as Hanukkah. And so that happens in December, and we know Passover is coming in April. Passover will be the celebration where Christ will make his triumphal entry as the King of Kings and as the Lord of Lords. And so we're not to Passover yet. Hanukkah, Feast of Dedication has, has happened. And so we're somewhere in between. And if you look at the last little bit of John chapter 10, Christ had just been in Jerusalem and the religious leaders had just had stones in their hand to try to kill Jesus again. And they tried to kill him because of, of, of Leviticus 24 in the Old Testament law says you stone anybody who commits blasphemy. To blaspheme is to say that you are God. And what is Jesus doing plainly and clearly? He is communicating he is God. He is the Messiah. And so they have stones in their hand and they're ready to stone him to death. But they can't because that's not God's divine timetable. God has a divine timetable. Man can't mess with God's plan. God has a plan. And it's not his hour yet. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus withdraws from that hostile crowd, hostile moment. And he goes about 20 miles east from Jerusalem to a place by the Jordan, just above the Dead Sea, where John the Baptist had been baptizing. He's going back to where his earthly ministry began. And so he's going over there because he is, he's no doubt preparing for what will be the last battle of his earthly ministry. And so the Bible says in John chapter 11, verse one, the Bible says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. 
So the disciple John is expecting us to be familiar with who Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are. They were a sibling group. They were sisters and brother. And they lived together in Bethany. Bethany was a, a, a small village located just over the other side of the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. So you had Jerusalem, you had the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount sits right on the little valley called the Kidron Valley, right up from the valley. The valley rises into the Mount of Olives. And just on the east side of the Mount of Olives was this small village called Bethany. It was Jesus's home away from home, away from home. He grew up in Nazareth. That's his childhood home. And then when his earthly ministry launched, Capernaum up in Galilee, that was his home base for ministry. But whenever he would come down to Jerusalem for the feast and for ministry, he would stay at Mary and Martha and Lazarus's house. And so we might be familiar with Mary and Martha specifically because in Luke 10, there's an unforgettable passage and I love it. And I think it's just a great word for us. Uh, at any point of our faith journey. But as the story goes, Jesus is coming into the house. Martha is just working away, getting everything lined up and in order. And where's Mary? Jesus comes in. Where's Mary? Mary is at the feet of Jesus. Like she could have been in a chair across the room from Jesus, but she wants to be as close to Jesus as she can. The Bible says she sat at his feet. Why? To listen to his voice and to listen to his word. Because she knew how desperately she needed his voice and needed his word. She removed all distractions and got as close as she could. All the while, Martha is just getting after it. <laughs> She's getting after it. In Luke 11, verse 40, the Bible says, But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Jesus, tell her to get after it because I'm doing all the work around here. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. And this is awesome. A great uh, just, just application for our lives because as a believer, as a believer, may our lives involve serving, but also sitting and sometimes sitting is really hard, but we serve and we sit. And I have found that when things start getting off the rails in our lives, sometimes we can trace it back to our doing has outpaced our being with God. And that we would find ourselves devoted to his word, listening to his voice. And so John is letting us know where Jesus is going. And so in verse three, the, so the sister sent to him, he's over by the Jordan. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So this message was sent by a messenger. It was about a day's journey away. This messenger delivers the note. Jesus gets the note. He reads the note. The note does not tell Jesus what to do. The note does not say, hurry, Jesus, come quickly. Um, no doubt, perhaps it's implied. They knew that with just a word, Jesus could bring complete and total healing. But they are informing Jesus that his friend, his friend is ill. And if you dig into the lingo, into the original language, that word love, there's different words for that. But the word for love here is phileo love. It means friend love. In other words, another way to say it might be, Lord, your friend is ill. Lord, your good friend is ill. 
verse 5, the Bible says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister. And oh, excuse, I'm so sorry. Let's go to verse 4. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This is so important. What's happening right now is the zoom in is going on. They have gotten the note. They've gotten the the word. They are zooming in. They are experiencing the pain. They're experiencing the hurt. They're experiencing the loss. They're experiencing all of the questions that they don't have answers for. Like they are in the whirlwind. They are zoomed in. But what Jesus is going to do all through John 11 is going to help us zoom out and see the bigger picture and the bigger backdrop. And that is this. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. And so in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I mentioned love. There's different words. This is not friend love. This word is agapo love. This is self. This is divine sacrificial love. Like this is the love Jesus has for Lazarus. This is the love he has for Mary and for Martha. This is the love he has for you. His love is not a friendship love. It's not a good friend love. It's not a good buddy love. His love is a self-sacrificing divine love. And if you dig into the language, it is an imperfect tense, which means it doesn't end. It's ongoing. It's active. He's always loving in a divinely sacrificial Way And so when illness strikes and brokenness is at our doorstep, it can be tempting to allow our circumstances to shape the way we view the love of God. But God help us to allow his divine sacrificial love, allow us to view our circumstances. It's a whole different perspective. I think it was Henry Blackaby. Um, and he had a daughter who was suffering from cancer. He found him, he found himself wrestling, struggling. And, and, and as the testimony goes, he's kind of walking through that. And he was just being honest and real about the raw emotion and struggle that he had as a father. And he said, God helped him to zoom out. And he didn't use those words, but God helped him to zoom out. And what he said was what God helped him to do was to look at the brokenness and look at the the struggle and look at the, the pain, but look at it with the cross in the background. Because if you ever doubt the love of God, just look to Calvary, look to the cross. The cross is the ultimate display of God's love for his people. And it shapes the way we see pain. And if you ever have a doubt of the love of God, look to the cross because Passover is coming. April is coming when he will lay down his life for his sheep as the good shepherd. I love Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saved those, saves those crushed in spirit. So in verse six, the Bible says, so when they heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. We read that, that may, that, that like, that will perhaps connect with your heart because that doesn't make sense. Like why in the world would God wait two more days? Why would he do that? If this is divine sex, self-sacrificing love, does that look like waiting two more days? Like there's an emergency situation going on right now. But again, zoom 
in, we see the pain and the struggle and the hurt, but zoom out and we see that God is laying the groundwork for an unmistakable miracle for His glory. But they can't see it yet. They can't see it yet. And so as they're walking through this, they are, that God is helping them see this bigger picture. And so God's not, it's been said, God's delays are not God's denials. We zoom in, we see the pain, but we zoom out and we see God is doing a big work. And in this process, Mary's faith is being stretched. Martha's faith is being stretched. The disciples' faith are being stretched. But God's timing is always perfect. There's a divine timetable at work. And there's a greater story that's being written. And can I just say this? I think as believers, we can all affirm this, that in the midst of broken and brokenness and pain and struggle and illness, don't we know that we know that the best is yet to come? <laughs> Isn't it? Like the best, the best is yet to come. And so in verse 7, the Bible says, Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And so he's waited 48 hours. Why? Because there's a bigger story going on that they can't see, but it's go time. It's time to go. And in verse 8, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? <laughs> and this is like, this is my translation. Jesus, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> do, do you really know? Like, have you lost your mind? Like, you really want to go to the place that you, there's, a wanted, there's, a, there's a wanted sign for you. Like, they just tried to kill you. You want to go back? You want to get, I mean, who in here wants to go two miles close to a place where they're trying to kill you? Like, nobody. And so they're like, this doesn't make sense. Like, what is going on? But I want you to think about all the disciples have seen. Remember, we are at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. Passover is coming in just a few short days. But what have they seen? They have seen Jesus turn water into wine. They have seen heal, they have seen Christ heal a man who could not walk for four decades. They have seen Christ feed thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. They have seen Jesus walk on top of water. They have seen nature obey his commands. They've seen so much. They've seen him heal a man who had been born blind since birth. And countless other works. The very last verse of the Gospel of John says this in John 21, 25. It says, now there are also many other signs that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Think of all the disciples had a front row seat and all that they saw. And yet here they found themselves doubting God's plan. They're doubting. Maybe you've been there. Circumstances, events, timing. We question the Lord. We question his goodness. We question his plan. We question the pain. We're like, Jesus, what are you doing? I just wonder, and I've had countless conversations, that's been a question this week. I don't understand. Like, what's going on? And in this text, God's painting a bigger picture because the best is yet to come. The best is yet 
to come. Zoom in, we see pain. Zoom out, we are going to see the glory of God in a way that could come no other way. Verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. And if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And what he's doing in the Jewish day, there were two 12-hour periods. There were 12 hours of daylight. There were 12 hours of evening. And what Jesus is saying is he's symbolizing that his earthly ministry represents the daylight that his life of earthly ministry, his purpose to come and to seek and to save the lost, it's all happening right here while there's day. While there's day. Night is coming when he will lay down his life for a sheep. But it's daytime right now. And what he's saying is, they're like, what are you thinking? And what he's saying is, listen, as long as there's daylight and I have purpose, I have a mission, I have come to seek and to save the lost, I'm going to Jerusalem and Passover. I'm going to lay down my life. He is invincible to whatever threat may come. He's invincible. He's going to lay down his life. In verse 11, the Bible says, after saying these things, he said to them. And I think it's good just to stop right there just for a second. Because has anybody said something so, so, so heavy, so meaningful, so what may be life changing, what was said that you like need a minute to process it. Like, I don't know how long it took or how much of a pause he gave, but this right here in the word tells me that after Jesus said that he left a pause in there because he wanted them to understand. He wanted them to understand before he moved on. He wants us to understand we are living in our daylight right now. Like evening is going to come. And if we have learned one of so many humbling reminders this week is that it can happen so suddenly. Night can come so suddenly. We don't know. But what we do know is this, is we are all right now in the daylight. And that Christ has a mission and he has a purpose for your life. Even if you don't feel like it, if you've been rescued by God's grace, he has gifted you. He has called you to mission. He has planted purposes and passions in your life. And when you find where your gifting and your passion cross and you speak the agapo love, the self-sacrificing divine love of God for others through that, the best way I can picture it is, has anybody ever been on a sailboat? Just curious. Anybody? I see like three people. We need to go sailboat riding, all right? But I want you to get that picture in your, in your heart. And the, the sailboat is, let's just say, the believer. And, 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 the, and, and with no wind or the mast is down, you're just going to sit there. <laughs> you're just going to sit there. But when you raise the sail and the wind fills the sail and moves you, it's this picture of the believer discovering that God has gifted you and purposed you like he has rescued you for a reason and for a divine purpose. And if we're not obedient to what he's calling, we're missing out on all the fun. We're just kind of like sitting out there like, you know, is it, am I going anywhere? Am I moving? But when we yield to his spirit, we go and there's such fulfillment. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep 
But I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. And now Jesus had spoken of his death that they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Throughout the scripture, God will use the term sleep as meaning death. You see it all through the scripture, but the disciples aren't getting it. They're like, okay, I know a while ago you said that he will, he will never die. And I also know they're trying to kill you in Jerusalem. So why don't we just stay put right here? He'll sleep. He'll sleep off the sickness. He'll get better. It's all good. It's all good. But again, Jesus is continuing to unfold the story because he is going to call them to step into some uncharted territory. And I asked this earlier to the eight o'clock service, and I just want us to think about this. Do we think that God has rescued us and saved us for us to be comfortable? And so what's he doing? He's stretching the faith of the disciples. You got to trust me. We're going into uncharted territory. I know they want to kill me, but they can't, they have no authority over me. Only the good shepherd has the authority to lay his life down. Only the good shepherd has the authority to raise his life up. They, it's daylight right now. They can't harm, they can't do anything. And so he's going to stretch their faith. They zoom in, they see hurt, they see pain. Christ zooms out. He sees the bigger picture. The best is yet to come. Verse 14. And then Jesus told them plainly. They didn't get it, but now they're going to understand. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. The message comes. The message, Lazarus is ill. Jesus is God. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows Lazarus is dead. He's omniscient. We see this. He is not glad because Lazarus is dead. He is glad because of the resurrection that's about to come, that the best is yet to come. They don't see it yet. They're zooming in, but God is helping them zoom out. There's a bigger picture. There always is. They can't see it yet. God is going to grow their faith. He's going to strengthen their faith. He's going to help them. He cares where the disciples are in their faith journey. He wants to help them grow. He wants to help them stretch their faith. It's going to be uncomfortable, but you can trust me. Nothing can change the plan of God. It's still daylight. And don't we all know, and don't we all understand that faith is forged in trial. Adrian Rogers was a pastor who pastored for many, many years. And I know so influential and I had the privilege of hearing him a few times just as I was surrendering to ministry and just, he was such a, a, a a mentor. Uh, and I remember him saying this, he said, a faith that can't be tested, can't be trusted. And I love that word because it just echoes what James, the half brother of Jesus says in James chapter one, verse two and four, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Faith is forged in the fire, but yet there is a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture. So I want to wrap up with verse 16. And here is Thomas. So Thomas called the twin. He said to his fellow disciples, let us also go 
that we may die with him. There's so much here, but I'm probably, you know, it's not in the text, but Thomas had a nickname. He had a nickname. Does anybody know what the nickname was? Go for it. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rap. <laughs> he really does. We kind of, kind of have this idea maybe of, of struggle, pessimism, um, you know, uh, just kind of like, kind of like holding back, but look at the courage. He's like, he's like, Jesus, I love you. Let's go. Even if it calls for my life, let's go. But I love Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 24, and we'll get there in the days ahead. But he says this after the resurrection, unless I see in his, unless I see in his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And the text goes eight days later. He believed. There's another passage over in John 14 where Jesus says this, and it's a very familiar passage to, to, to perhaps many of you, but Jesus is saying this. He's in his final hours. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, that in my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That is such a comforting passage in loss. But he goes on to say this. He says in verse four, and you know the way to where I'm going. I'm going to be Thomas just for a minute. Where are you going and what's the plan? <laughs> like that was Thomas. He was like, that's the very next verse. Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? And what did Jesus say? He said in the very next verse, I am the way, the truth, the life. And no man comes to the father except through me. I love how Jesus received Thomas's struggle and doubt and met him right where he was and comforted him with his presence and who he was. He gets a bad rap at times, but I love his honesty. He wasn't going to be one that just shakes his head like everybody else. Oh, yeah, that's a good word, Jesus. Amen. And then secret, you're like, what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> like Thomas, Thomas is like, help me. Help me. Help me understand. But I love his courage. I love his courage. He was ready to go. His love for Jesus said, let's go and die. He was willing. He was in the zoomed in pain. He was hurting. But he was ready to go. What I've seen over these past few days is an outpouring of love and support for the, for the Britain family. I've seen just this overwhelming, just tidal wave of love and support and encouragement. And I love just to be able to witness what has been in the midst of great loss, one of the most beautiful pictures of outpouring of love that I've ever seen. Just people loving and going and being there and loving and encouraging. And so as we wrap up with really what's just kind of the, the starting point of this story, I pray that we are encouraged to understand that God's delays are not his denial and that God has a divine timetable. And while there's day, there's absolutely nothing that can change the plan of God, nothing. 
And then not only that, he loves his, he loves his children. He loves his disciples. He wants to grow their faith. He's always trustworthy. Think about it. Everything in our life is an opportunity to trust God more. It's an opportunity to trust God more. And God works through the mess. I thought about a, like a, one of those quilts where you look on the backside and it's just like a, looks like a dog just tore it all up to pieces. There are threads and it, it's like a mess. But then you turn it over on the other side. It's like, wow, look at this picture. Like this is what's happening. They're, they're zoomed in on the mess. But God's helping them zoom out and say the best is yet to come. They don't even realize it yet. But the best is yet to come. And then I would just also remind you of God's agapo love for you. That Jesus goes to them. And I love that. The word of God, God's love letter to us. What do we see? We see a God going to his people who he loves so much to make a way where there was no way. And so I encourage you, if you are a believer... May you be encouraged. God wants to stretch our faith. He doesn't want us getting comfortable. Like the good stuff actually happens when we're uncomfortable because we have to trust him more. We have to lean into him more. And he meets us where we are and he's stretching. And all the while, Jesus is sitting here saying, they have no idea what they're about to see. <laughs> they have no idea what's going to happen in about four days from now. And it's going to be amazing. And I would also say to anybody here who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, can we just be encouraged in the, in the text? And that is Jesus is pursuing. Jesus is pursuing his creation. And he loves you. And he is pursuing you. And he desires a relationship with you. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he invites you. Acknowledge your sin. Repent of your sin. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. It's a, it's, it's a U-turn. You're going your way, and you're going towards yourself, and you're going towards your sin, and you U-turn, and you turn to Him, and you surrender to Him, His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection. He forgives you. He grants you peace with God. He gifts you the gift of his presence, the Holy Spirit to minister to you, to help you, to strengthen you, to fulfill all that he's called you to. He has a purpose for your life and ultimately to live again with him forever and ever and ever. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this, this greatest miracle yet that we know the answer. We know the end. We see the whole story. But so oftentimes in brokenness and loss and struggle, we don't. We're zoomed in. It's too hard to zoom out. It's too difficult to see through the clouds. It's hard to process and to know and to see. But I love in the story how Christ sees where his disciples are. He knows their heart. He wants to help them and he's going to help them by stretching their faith and seeing this unmistakable work of him that could only be done by him and that will bring great glory to himself and strengthen their faith. God, strengthen our faith in you. Strengthen our walk. God, strengthen us for your glory and for your mission. And God, I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray today would be the day of salvation. God, we desperately need you. 
We need you so desperately. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to stand with me as we close our time just in a time of response and we'll have pastors here and just encourage you to respond however the Lord would lead you. You need somebody to pray for you, we'd love to pray for you. If you need somebody to talk to, we'd love to talk with you. Whatever you need, let's be obedient to how the Lord leads us in this time.